Take your Bibles, if you would, and let's go to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. I want to read a couple of different passages, as Paul alluded to in his prayer. We're looking at Joseph. This is the last Sunday of Advent. And uh, I tell you, if we ever wanted to kind of duplicate maybe what it was like over 2,000 years ago, I don't know if we could do any better than where we are right now with the amount of uncertainty, the unknowns, the sense of cultural pushback, all of the things that we are experiencing today. I don't think they were unlike what Joseph was facing over 2,000 years ago. We have largely based our series this Christmas of 2021 on this book by Tim Keller. It's called Hidden Christmas. Really encourage you, if you haven't got a copy of this, buy one. You'll really enjoy it. It's a very simple read. And I want to deal with the idea of Joseph, and I love this idea of the guy who faithfully fathered his own Savior. And before you go, "Uh uh-huh, I want you to think about that. Imagine if that was you. Imagine if you were the one that had to say, this is my son and he's God. Who of us would be eager to walk around St. John saying that compared to what you might get met with? And I don't think that was any different over 2,000 years ago, and I hope I can make that point a little bit. But as we do that, I want to ask you a couple of questions. So you, you, you really spoke out there when I said good morning, so I'm really pleased with that. Let me ask you this. What jumps out at you when you think about Christmas? Shout out some things that jump out to you right now, just things that just jumped into your head when I say Christmas. Wow, what was that again? Family? Turkey? Gravy, yes, nice, dark, thick gravy, right, Matthew? I knew that. Anything else? Sights or lights? Lights, all right. Pardon? Kids? Gifts, all right. Cheryl, you were a bit too... No, no, no. (laughs) Gifts, all right, there we go. Well, now, let me ask you this. What's the first things that jump out of your mind when I say angels? Pardon me? Halos? Trumpets? Gabriel? Pardon? Light? Singing? Announcements? Lots of wings. Yes, that's it. Not the kind you eat, though. All right. So one of the things I want you to notice as we did this, because I could have kept us up all morning is when we think about angels, we think about Gabriel. Some of you might even think about how Mary was visited by Gabriel. Uh, Steve talked to, did a great job talking about this last week. We think about the hosts of angels that came to the shepherds, and you have that thing, you know. That's where, by the way, we get singing. Now, to pop some bubbles, I would encourage you to go back and actually see if they sang. I got challenged by that once and early in my ministry. Um, but how often do we think about Joseph and angels. And yet, as we're going to see here, I'm going to read some passages of Scripture, and you're going to notice that not once, not twice, not three times, but four times, the angel of the Lord speaks to Joseph. In fact, if you look at it numerically, I would challenge you from Genesis to Revelation to compile a list of men and women that heard that often by direct revelation from God. You'd be shocked to know it puts Joseph in some pretty rare company. And this is one of the things that I want you to to take into notice. So let's go take our passage. Let's go to Matthew chapter 1. The first passage you all know, because this is one that's read often. It's in verse 18, after that great big genealogy. Matthew, the converted tax collector, who is now a follower of Jesus Christ, writing about his Savior, says this, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. And before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now her husband Joseph, being a just man, some translations will say a godly man, some will say a man faithful to the law, was unwilling to put her to shame and resolved to divorce her quietly. 
But as he considered these things, behold, and that's a key word every time in Matthew, throughout all 28 chapters of the book of Matthew, whenever you encounter this word, behold, you, you should behold, take notice, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear. Don't fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And this is a quote from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife Mary but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he, Joseph, called his name Jesus. Now, that's the first time we encounter him. Now, go over to chapter 2, and let's go down to verse 13, because as you know, Father Paul preached about the wise men, and remember, it wasn't just three wise guys. This was likely an entourage. In fact, archaeologists, sorry, not astronomers, that's what these guys were, uh, archaeologists tell us this could have been anywhere from 3,000 to 10 or even 15,000 people in this entourage that showed up. It was, a, it was enough to make the whole city notice. And if you realize that many people think these might have been Parthians, which go all the way back to Persia and Babylon, and that some of these men might have actually read Daniel's writings or the writings of his friends. And this is how they came to know about these things. But if you know anything about first century history, the only threat to Rome in that area of the world were the Parthians. And they almost overthrew Rome and drove them back and took over Jerusalem. And a guy named Herod joined forces with Rome to help defeat the Parthians. And that's why Herod was gifted this puppet monarchy because he was a half-breed. He was half-Jewish, half-Edomite, which meant he was a descendant of Esau. And so he was gifted this puppet uh, time, and here he was leading this, this uh, city and this nation under Rome, and all of a sudden, 5, 10, 15,000 Parthians show up and say, where is he born king of the Jews? This is the reason why Matthew tells us that Herod was afraid and all of Jerusalem with him. This wasn't three random guys that could slip in in the dark. Everybody knew that an encampment of Parthians had just taken residence outside the city walls. And all of Jerusalem was uneasy. And from there we come down to verse 13. After they had visited David in Bethlehem, or sorry, uh, Joseph in Bethlehem, and given their gold, frankincense, and myrrh, now when they had departed, this is that big entourage, behold, there it is again, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, did you catch that? An angel of the Lord appeared again in a dream Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. And here's why. For Herod is about to search for the child and destroy him. That's the only message he got. Verse 14, and he, Joseph, rose, took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. And this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. The next part, passage is down at the end of it, but in between that we know the horror and the tragedy of a psychotic evil king who then goes and massacres all male children in the Bethlehem region from two years of age and under because he was trying to account for what age Jesus might be. Horrific bloodshed in the midst of what we would celebrate as the Christmas season. But then now go to verse 19. We get back to Joseph again. But when Herod died, behold, here's the third time, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph. This is three times now, this time in Egypt, and this time he says, rise, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. Very simple sentence, not actually easy to fulfill if you actually think about what's involved in that. And verse 21, and he rose, Joseph rose, took the child and his mother. So it's still just Mary and Joseph and Jesus. 
and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Now watch this. Now we don't have a behold this time, and we don't have the angel of the Lord, but don't miss this. And being warned in a dream. So at this point, Matthew's now assuming what he has said explicitly three times. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Now, may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. And the reason I took this time is because I always want to teach you guys, the, the one thing I've, I've experienced about Bible reading, as someone who's been around Christianity since I was five, and we're he- heading into the end of another year, and many of you are going to be looking at Bible reading programs, and how am I going to read my Bible more in 2022? I, I really want to challenge you to see the joy of slowly reading Scripture and actually interacting with it and actually looking and making sure you're seeing what is said there, not just assume it, not just read it to check it off your daily schedule, not just to make yourself feel good that you've read through the whole Bible. What does it profit you to read through the entire Bible if you don't engage with it and you don't have a relationship? And I'm going to talk about that at the end. But I love to read my Bible here as I'm in my... I guess, midlife crisis of life, and I'm discovering that I get far more joy out of simply sitting down with my Bible and a journal every single day and actually interacting with what I'm reading, writing out my thoughts and emotions, writing out my questions, actually seeing if what is said there is what is actually said, what jumps out at me, what patterns, what am I supposed to do with this, how should this affect me, how did it affect others, and you actually interact with it, and you don't have to be a great scholar, you don't have to impress anybody, it's just you and God letting him speak to you as you talk back to him. And so I want to try and just for a few minutes this morning, draw out a few things from this as we try to see about this hidden Christmas, what are some things that you and I can discover either for the first time or maybe get reacquainted with as we have been challenged over the last three weeks as John has challenged us and and Brother Paul did and last week Brother Steve did. He did a great job and challenged us about the faith of Mary. And I love that, or rather, what he did was he wanted us to understand it wasn't about Mary's faith or the size of her faith, but rather the object of her faith. He spoke very honestly even about himself and the weaknesses of his own faith. But he gave us hope as a church because it's never been about his faith or my faith or even you for your faith. It's rather, who do we have faith in? And on this last Sunday of Advent, I'd like us to go on a journey and learn some lessons that Joseph offers us. I want to posture or or, or propose for us this morning that this man, Joseph, this simple, relatively unknown guy, is not only chosen by God, he's not only used by God, he's chosen and, and, and used by God to literally, catch this now, to father oversee, protect, provide for the one who would be his own personal Savior. On Christmas Eve, I want to talk about, Lord willing, provided we can have it in person as Omicron changes the world in, seems like, hourly fashion. But I hope to pray and and sing with you on Christmas Eve and talk about the doctrine of Christmas in which the idea will be that the greatest miracle of all, of all time, the incarnation, prepares for the greatest miracle of all time, the resurrection. And this is the beauty of it. But what are some of the challenges? Do you and I know what you believe? Many of you, I'm looking into your faces, and every one of you I know, and almost everyone here would claim to be a Christian. Great. Do you realize what you're claiming to believe here in 2021 in this country? We claim to believe that God became human and lived amongst humanity. I want you to realize the moment you say that, you have said something that most of the world can't comprehend. And a lot of the world would flat out reject. 
And I also think tragically that many Christians say this without ever really contemplating the challenges of saying you believe this. And this is why I wonder if Joseph is given to us from Matthew, because I want to focus on two of the challenges that Joseph faced. I'm going to break these down so then we can look and see the promises that he was given, because I think we live in challenging times. I think we live in very challenging times, uncertainty with COVID, economics, politics, cultural norms, relationships. I mean, who of us ever thought that almost 22, 23 months later, I'd still be up here preaching to people with masks on? I'm reminded of what masks do every day, but even again reminded as Karen and Ryan were back there and Karen walked out with her little one and, and I'm looking at her and I'm smiling with my eyes. I'm, I'm just all, and she's looking at me like, what do you want, fella in the weird mask? And then I pull my mask down enough for her to see my face, and I smile, and then her face lights up. And you're reminded of how we've been living as a people. You know the other side effect of masks that I've noticed about me? I'm walking in the Walmart, and I'm at, I was at Costco yesterday, and now because I got this mask on, I say all kinds of nasty stuff because I think the mask protects me, right? I, give, I'm, I got this running commentary of all the people that I think are, are being bad around me, and then every now and then my wife in a very gracious way leans in and she goes, you know, it's a mask. It's not a sound barrier. But this is what life lately has done for us. We live in these tense times. We face these challenges, vaccines, masks, mandates, new threats, all this stuff. Will it ever end? Should you shut down the economy? Shouldn't you? And it's pitted people against people and all of these things. Couple that then with all the economic stresses and all these types of things. And we face challenges. Well, can you imagine being told, hey, Joe, go ahead and follow through on the marriage ceremony with this woman who is pregnant that you didn't get pregnant because she's pregnant by the Holy Spirit, and she's carrying God. Put yourself there. I want you to see a couple of the personal challenges that Joseph faced. When we come to Matthew chapter 1, we're introduced to these two people in a very anticlimactic way, Mary and Joseph. Well, Dr. Luke, as Brother Steve talked about last week, will give more uh, priority to Mary. Matthew seems to give us uh, attention to Joseph. And yet, if you take both in Matthew chapter 1 and 2 and Luke chapter 1 and 2, it gives us a full view of the character of this couple. Because Matthew wants us to know that Joseph is a couple things. One, notice it says there back in in chapter 1, he's a godly man. He's a God-fearing man. He's faithful to the law. He's not given to temper or vengeance. That alone, I could just stop and talk about. You have to realize, in the eyes of the first century, they were, they were actually married. We have a hard time wrapping our heads around this because our engagement is a promissory note, but then the wedding happens. In Judaism, to be engaged was to actually be married. And they, they were betrothed to each other. They had already committed that. They were awaiting the basically the ceremony was when all the preparations to the agreed-upon wedding were to take place. So this was his wife in, their, in Jewish law and idea. It wasn't like when we have an engagement, we break off, hopefully you're just dealing with a ring and someone gives you a ring back or sometimes you don't get it back, but the two people just go their separate ways. No, in Judaism in the first century, when you were engaged, you were essentially married. To be unengaged was to get divorced. And so here is Joseph, this godly, God-fearing man who has given his life to this young lady. He's been actively preparing himself, getting ready, preparing a home, the dowry. He has met with Mary's parents and family. They've agreed upon things. He's asked people to celebrate him. Money's been spent for the big marriage celebration and all these things. And then word gets out. Mary's pregnant. And Joseph knows he's not the dad. Now, any one of you that have experienced marital infidelity would know the pain and the horror of that. And yet, notice, he is not a man of vengeance. He's not a man of temper. Mary, at some point, had to tell him, Joseph, I'm pregnant. I didn't cheat on you. The angel Gabriel appeared to me and told me this was going to happen. 
And obviously, I, I don't think Joseph believed her because he was actively thinking, okay, how do I quietly divorce her? I don't want to cause her shame. She's already stressed. How did those conversations go? I think sometimes we like to milk and sugar our Bible. Can you put yourself there? Any of you that are dating? Any of you that are engaged and planning a wedding? Any of you that are newly married? If your spouse came to you and said, I'm pregnant and God got me pregnant. How would that play out? But notice, he doesn't give in to temper or vengeance. We see a man who is truly in love with his bride. He must have had a great anguish. He struggled with this, and I wonder how much he prayed. I wonder how much after Mary told him, and he got alone, and he prayed out to Yahweh. Did he go and go to his local synagogue? Did he go to a, even to the temple? Did he want to find someone and go, what's going on here? How much did the conversation go? I wonder if Joseph went and talked to his parents or talked to a close friend. What did he do? And I honestly don't think he did. I think Mary talked to him, and then I think he talked to God. You see, they both knew time would betray them. Eventually, a pregnant woman is going to show. Eventually, this is going to become public knowledge. At some point, Mary was going to show that she was pregnant, and the folks around them could do the math. And yet, when Joseph was getting ready to act, trying to figure out a way, how do I do this peacefully, quietly, graciously? Then the angel of the Lord comes to him and says, Joseph, this woman that you are about to marry, I want you to marry her. Because behold, he says, do not be afraid, for that which is conceived in her is from the Lord, and she will bear a son. And notice this, now it goes from her to him, you shall call his name Jesus. So Joseph had this first primary challenge, and it was a personal one. He had to believe that Jesus was God in the flesh. That was his number one personal challenge. Joseph, Mary is not lying to you. She didn't cheat on you. You need to know she loves you and she's been faithful to you. And all of that's great news, right? That's wonderful news. But here is the truth about this pregnancy. Mary is pregnant with God. God in the flesh. The Messiah. Joseph, you're going to be the caregiver to my son. He won't be your son. This baby will be and is God. And hence why Joseph is told he shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. <laughs> now, because we've heard this our whole lives, all of you have heard this Christmas after Christmas, but this was brand new to Joseph. He had never heard this. You see, the Jews believed God would send a Messiah, but they never believed that, that Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 meant that God would become flesh. Even the Jews, for all of time, believed that the Messiah would just be another good person. He'd be a great leader, a great rabbi, a great deliverer. He would come and liberate them and overthrow tyranny and make them united as a nation. Make, maybe even bring in and usher in a moral utopia. Um, does this sound familiar? Here in 2021, you don't think that's what the world doesn't want right now? Show me a leader, a great teacher, someone who can come and liberate can overthrow tyranny, can unite nations, can bring in some sort of utopia. Friends, that sells. We're not different than Israel. Over and over again, they would have read this. But like Israel in the world today, perhaps even you and I here in this room, is that we're looking for a leader. We want a deliverer, someone who can take our pain, someone who can make things right, Someone who can show us true love. Someone that can bring moral stability to our lives that we can trust. Will make the world a better place. In fact, if you've watched the latest adaptation of Scrooge, isn't that one of the featured songs at the end? Have you ever, again, you know me, I'm, fasc I'm fascinated by lyrics. You remember the, the thing at, with Bill Murray and Scrooge, the modern adaptation of Scrooge? You see it's getting late. Oh, please don't hesitate. Put a little love in your heart. You see... Um, it's getting late. Oh, please don't hesitate. 
Put a little love in your heart. Another day goes by, still the children cry. Well, put a little love in your heart. And if you want the world to know, we won't let, let hatred know, but put a little love in your heart and take a good look around. And if you're looking down, then just put a little love in your heart. And I hope when you decide, kindness will be your guide and put a little love in your heart because then the world will be a better place for you and me. Just wait and see. This is what the world is going to sing about all through this month. Just put a little love in your heart. Israel, Mary, Joseph, and today in 2021, a whole world wants a Messiah. We want deliverance. We want a world that will get along. But here's the question. Do we want God? You see... God is very different from a great guy, from a moral leader, from a champion of humanity. God is over us. God knows better than us. God has authority. God defines. God declares, which is what brings us to Joseph's next biggest challenge. Because it wasn't just that he had this challenge to believe that God was God in the flesh, but Joseph had a challenge to believe that Jesus was going to be his Savior in the flesh. Notice what the angel of the Lord says to him. He says, Joseph, you don't get to name this baby that is born to Mary. And again, this is another thing where you and I are tempted just to gloss over this. Steve, uh, or sorry, uh, what, what talked about this when, with Zechariah when he found out that he was going to have a baby in his old age who would be John the Baptist. And yet, if you remember in that story, remember he wanted, everybody thought that he was going to name his son. And then he writes out what his name would be that he's already named. And it shocked everybody because it was an overwhelming joy and honor. It was a sign of respect that the father of children got to name their children. And so right here we find out that Jesus, sorry, Joseph was to name his child Jesus This would have been culturally and spiritually challenging to Joseph. Men named their kids. It was their right. It was their honor. And their names meant something. These dads spent time thinking about what to name them, and their names had meaning. Not like it is for us in the West in the 21st century. Here, we tend to be much more collaborative. It's usually a couple get together. And I can tell you by experience for Debbie and I, when... Brandon was going to be born to us. Brandon is named Brandon simply because I had an affinity with a little five-year-old that my wife taught in kindergarten whose name was Brandon. And I just fell in love with this wee little boy. He had these little work boots that he came to kindergarten with every single day. And every day he had a new Band-Aid somewhere on him. And he was just this rough and tough little fella. And I just loved him. And every time I'd go to pick Debbie up, he'd run out and give me a high five. And we'd talk and all this kind of stuff. And as Debbie was going through the... I was like, Debbie, boy, if we have... Boy, I just like name him Brandon. And that was the full extent of the thought process that went into it. Brandon is named after a kid that I liked. Jordan's named what he is because Debbie's father, if he'd ever had a boy, wanted to name him Jordan. Abigail is the only one named because we ever actually got spiritual and we actually thought about the Bible and we really liked Abigail because she was a woman of wisdom. Hint, hint there, dear. Um, anyway, this is, this is what it is. But in first century Judaism, you thought this out. And so here's Joseph who was challenged to believe that Mary, his wife, was going to give birth to God in the flesh. And then the angel says to him, you're going to name him Jesus, and here's why. Because he's going to save you from your sin. Can you imagine what that would have been like? He will be called Emmanuel, God with us. So Jesus, Joseph is going to name this child, and in so doing, Joseph has to admit two things. He has to admit that Jesus is God, and also in naming him Jesus, he has to admit that he needs saving. And then he has to realize that this son being born is not a moral leader. He's not a freedom fighter. 
Instead, Joseph is called to admit, I'm a sinner in need of saving from my sin. Emmanuel, God me, with us, means that God uh, needed to do something for us, something we could never do for ourselves. Yes, Joseph learns that this child is God and has come with a mission, and it's been the plan all along, and it's to save us from our greatest need. And for every one of you here this morning, you need to understand that the greatest thing sometimes that we need to get this is to see this. We are a frail people. COVID is exposing the true weaknesses of humanity. We can't save ourselves. And what does it profit humanity, even if we overcome COVID and all the other issues we think we face, if we're not right with God? Jesus has come to make it possible for us not only to know God, but more than that, to make it possible for us to be right with God, to be actually his children, which leads me very quickly into the paternal challenges of Joseph. See, he had personal challenges. He had to believe that Jesus was God, and then he had to believe that Jesus was his Savior. Those were personal. But then he had paternal challenges. Here here he is. He's a stepdad. He's got to raise God in the flesh. You see, Joseph had to be willing to face the world's disdain. And this is something where maybe you're going to see this for the first time because this really hit me over the last week and a half. I've really tried to put myself in Joseph's shoes to think about what it would be like to go through the mundane day after day. Again, a way in a manger gets it wrong, right? Uh, The babe in the manger, no crying he makes. What do you think, that Jesus didn't cry? He did cry. He was fully human. He needed to be fed. He needed to be changed. Someone had to teach him how to walk, how to dress himself. Likely Joseph had to teach him how to use a hammer and how all the trades of being a carpenter. He was, in all accounts, normal. And for all of the things that sometimes you want to think that maybe there was special Jesus and maybe he floated across the Sea of Galilee as a toddler or something or he never slept or ate or Mary came out and he was just fixing dinner because after all he was God. No, he was as normal as normal can be. We would have stood out to nobody. And I can think I can prove it to you. I've often wondered, how did these boys... How did Joseph and Mary talk about this? How did they answer the questions? And I actually think they didn't. I think this was a very normal family that went about their business, and then they had four more boys and who knows how many uh, daughters. So this was a family of at least somewhere between six and ten, because there was Jesus and then four brothers that are named, and then we know that he had sisters. And I think they just lived their life. And let me prove it to you. Go to Matthew chapter 13 with me. Matthew chapter 13. And let's see if I can prove this so I can drive this home and then we're done. I want you to see these challenges, these real challenges that Joseph faced. And sometimes how we think we know the Christmas story and we actually project our conclusions. In Matthew chapter 13, this is when Jesus returns to Nazareth. And when he goes there... It says, and when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there and coming to his hometown, which would have been Nazareth, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished. Like they weren't expecting this. They were astonished. They were shocked that this guy could speak and teach the law like he did. And they said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Like how did this happen? Is not this the carpenter's son? They were fascinated. How does this 30-something-year-old show up here? We know this boy. We watched him grow up. This is Joseph's son. How did he get this? We know he didn't go off to rabbinical school. Where's he been? We know everything about him. Look look at what keeps going. Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? And when did then did this man get all these things? Now watch this. And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. So contrary to popular opinion, I actually think Joseph and Mary just live life. I don't think they went back to Nazareth and said, Hey, uh, we're moving in just so you know. Little fella here, that's God. That's not, they simply were moving back home, set up life, and went about doing life. Had kids and all these things. And yet, at any moment's notice, 
Joseph had to be willing to face the world's disdain. This is what he did. He, he faced this over and over again. I honestly think that Jesus was ordinarily normal. He grew up. He grew up. He was taught. He ate. He slept. He had family. Oh, no, listen. He was perfect. He didn't do wrong. He always obeyed, and he always obeyed perfectly and for the right reasons. But I really wonder if he was just considered a goody two-shoes. I think he was probably considered, that's the good boy of Mary and Joseph. He was just a weird, strange kid from Nazareth. Now, this doesn't mean that Joseph didn't have challenges. Did it ever come up in conversation? How Joseph and Mary met or got married? Did the kids, as they were born, ever question? Did Mary and Joseph ever say to their children? And I think maybe they didn't. Because remember, when Jesus is in his public ministry, Mary and her son show up at that house where Jesus is, and if you follow the life of it, his brothers really didn't believe. They thought he was nuts for claiming to be the Messiah. This was the tension that they lived in. And you have to real hear, hear this. Well, I don't think Jesus walked around saying, I am God as a boy, or even as a teenager. He did do things growing up that would have been outside the norm, which is why Joseph also had the parental challenge of being willing to find his value in God's will, not his. Let me give you one other little insight into this as to why I think the, Joseph and Mary lived with a very ordinary boy. Go to Luke chapter 2 with me. Luke chapter 2, and I want to begin in verse 42. This is another passage where, again, friends, you will read these passages and you gloss over them and you don't stop because there's some beautiful, rich gold there for you and I to mine. So here's Joseph. He has to admit that this son being born to Mary is God in the flesh. Now Joseph has to believe that this son being born as God in the flesh is his Savior. Now he raises this very ordinary boy. Life just returns to normal. There's this flash of miracles, all this provision, and then all of a sudden, life is normal. Flash forward 12 years, if you remember, because they're a godly family, they go up every year to the great feasts, and look at verse 42. And when he was 12 years old, sorry, in verse 41, now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of Passover. So every year they went up, and when he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom and when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, and his parents did not know it. Now, it wasn't because they were unfit parents. We get all the details. Look, but supposing him, Jesus, to be in the group, they went a day's journey, but when they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances, and when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him, and after three days, they found him. So it wasn't that they were unfit parents. Again, they traveled in groups. And, and those of you with young kids now, I see it happening here after church, especially when it's warm. You guys love your kids, but they all get playing and moving around. And next thing you know, I've had many a parent come and go, have you seen my child? Have you seen my child? Right? Because they just blend in. I mean, heck, Home Alone has got three movies out about it. All right? It's easy to misplace a child. And so because they had all this family and all their acquaintances, there was probably a large group of them from Nazareth that went up. Everybody just assumed, well, he's with them, or he probably stayed in their tent, or he's with them, or the boys were. And all of a sudden, they realized, no, there is no Jesus. Three days, a 12-year-old. Now watch what the passage says. After three days, verse 46, they found him in the temple sitting among the teachers and listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Now watch this. Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. Joseph, who had to father his own savior, and his wife Mary who have raised this boy, and nothing out of the ordinary has happened. He's just a regular boy. They went about there doing their business, having more children. They have a large family. They're doing life, and then all of a sudden, they go up there. They've done this for 12 years, taking Jesus up, and then all of a sudden, he goes missing, and for three days, and when they come back, they find out that for 72 hours, he's been back and forth in the temple, sitting around with a bunch of law experts, listening to them and asking questions and freaking everybody out. 
And he says, and she says, you've caused your father and I great distress. And notice verse 49, and he said to them, said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Now catch this, because here's the key part of why I'm making these points. Verse 50, and they did not understand the saying that he spoke to him, to them. They don't get it. They've had angelic announcements and pronouncements. They've had wise men show up and give them gifts. Elizabeth's John the Baptist bounced in the womb when, when Mary came in, but life very quickly returned to normal, and the challenges of life quickly overtook them to the point where they didn't understand what was happening. And notice, and he went down with them and came to Nazareth, and watch this, and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up these things in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature in favor with God and man. Right there at 12 years old, Joseph was faced with this challenge. Will I submit to God's will versus mine? Can you imagine what it would have been like for a 12-year-old to look at them and say, I've got to be about my father's business. In my father's... And maybe it was then that this couple were shook and remembered, "Uh uh-oh, remember what was said? Maybe then conversation started to take place because then Joseph had to be willing to admit he was fathering the one who would forgive his sin. See, it's one thing when an angel of the Lord tells you in in a dream, call him Jesus for he'll save his people from their sin. It's another thing when the 12-year-old becoming a teenager says, I must be about my father's business, and all of a sudden you realize he is different. Joseph had heard directly from God four times. He had seen God inform him and protect him and provide for him and bless him over and over again. But so do we. We have the Bible, the incompleted Bible. We have, that we, we, we have experienced God's protecting us and providing for us and blessing us. But that never changes this one immutable fact. We have all sinned and we all need a Savior. Now, we know that Joseph passed away somewhere between Jesus being 12 years old and, say, around 30. But somewhere in there, all of Joseph's challenges were met and overcome by these amazing promises. So he was challenged personally. He was challenged paternally. But then think about the eternal promises he was given, and that's what I want you to go home with this Christmas. Joseph has given the promise of true and eternal life. And he will be called Emmanuel. God with us, and you shall call him Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins, which means we can not only be saved, but we can have eternal life, eternal life with Christ. In a sense, that is more hopeful. Joseph will see that simply being liberated from Rome or to have his best life now or to have all the money and fame and power and pleasure in this world will never offer the hope of Jesus because no matter how good your life is, we all still grow old and we still die. But the point of Jesus is if we don't understand, we can come to him and we find understanding that there is life after death, that death doesn't need to be a fearful thing. Jesus was born and in life and in death and in resurrection. Jesus offers us hope, hope that we can live this life with purpose and meaning. And that's because Joseph was given the promise of identity in Christ. You and I can now on this, uh, uh, what I'm going to talk about on Christmas Eve is that Jesus coming is the greatest hope we can have to live forever. You see, the world needs an overhaul. This world needs to overhaul. In Jesus Christ, we have the promise of mercy and grace, of transformation and rebirth. And his promise is so powerful that according to John 14, Jesus has prepared a place for us with him. Jesus will restore earth to a sinless bliss for us to enjoy forever. And most importantly, we're going to be able to stand before the King of kings and Lord of lords and call him Father, and we'll get to enjoy the eternal acceptance and relationship that truly all we can say or even sing right now is with mercy me when we say, I can only imagine. Because we have this identity in Christ, Jesus can became one of us so we can be one with him. We can be found in Christ. Jesus has experienced every emotion we feel. So if you're here this morning or at home and you're tired, I wonder if I asked you to put your hands up. Are you tired? How many of you would put your hand up? You feel hunger. Jesus was misunderstood. 
He was falsely accused. He was betrayed. He was abandoned. Jesus felt loneliness. He was crushed under the weight of life and all of its demands. Jesus knew and faced all the things that you and I faced, but he never failed. And that is why he comes to tell us to come to him. And that's why we can bring our anxieties to him in Philippians 4. That's why Peter tells us to bring all our, cast all of our burdens upon him. And that's why we care. And it's why we are compassionate. It's why we are forgiving. It's why we give and we serve and we sacrifice. It's why we don't hoard now. It's why we don't let our tempers rule us or our selfishness get the best of us. Listen, we struggle with it, but then we go to Romans 8 and we recall 1 Corinthians and we remember that God comforts us, not to make us comfortable, but for us to be comforters. We quite literally want to be like Christ because he's made that possible. Joseph gave up his right to name Jesus, gave up his right to even have authority over him. Joseph gave up all the things we are tempted to cling to. Why? Because Jesus offers us what we truly need, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. If Jesus is in your life, you are not his manager. (laughs) He's yours. And Joseph is given the promise of a life where everything has purpose and he'll be empowered. Christ in us, our hope of glory, Colossians 1.27. Christ, us in Christ, this is our saving righteousness, Colossians chapter 3. And us like Christ is our future, Philippians chapter 1 verse 16. And so have you ever wondered why we sing the song, Mary, did you know? It could have easily been written, Joseph, did you know? And for the most part, they would have answered, nope. But then, Jesus opened their eyes. And the challenge for every one of us with this Christmas is to consider Mary and the shepherds and the wise men or Herod and, of course, now Joseph. But foundationally, it boils down to this. Who is Jesus? Christmas is not simply God exists. Christmas is God exists and has come to us. Jesus came to be near us so we can be near him. So here's the big question. Can I ask you this morning? Do you communicate with Jesus? And does Jesus communicate with you? And do you have the courage to trust what he tells you? Four times an angel told Joseph to do things. Four times he did it right away. He married a girl who was pregnant by God. He went to Bethlehem and trusted God to provide. He uprooted his life and family twice or at least three times. What do you need to do to trust God with in your life today? Do you need to have the courage to say, Lord, I need to talk to you about my marriage or my kids? Lord, I need help to love my family or forgive someone in my family. Lord, I need to give you my money. Lord, I need to give you relationships. Can I ask you very quickly, if you knew this was your last Christmas, this was going to be the last Christmas dinner, the last time with your spouse, your kids, your siblings, your parents, your church, your friends. This was going to be the last one or Jesus was going to return or one of us was going to face death. As Christians, our attitude should be, first of all, hallelujah, because I don't fear death. But how might this impact our relationships? If you knew this was the last time. I say this to you because I was thinking about my grandfather. Many of you know my grandfather. My grandfather got saved 90 days before he died. My dad was a, my grandfather was an alcoholic who had blown up his family, disowned his son, and was at odds with everybody in his family. And then God saved him. And the first thing my grandfather wanted to do was make things right with his son, make things right with his wife. He reached out to his siblings. I remember him putting his massive hand on my shoulder and telling me that he was going to die soon and said, Stephen, don't waste your life like your grandfather has. And I remember when he did die and I was in the funeral home and it was my first time ever encountering death. And I was freaked out because I heard this heavy breathing and it reminded me of my grandfather. And I cuddled into my dad and I remember opening my eyes during prayer and I looked behind me and it was my grandfather's brother. 
And there he was, looked just like my grandfather. He breathed like him and everything. And he hadn't spoken to my grandfather in 20 years. And he showed up in a funeral home with his brother in a casket, unable to be right with his brother. And as I get older and life gets more fleeting for me, I ask myself, Lord, do I want that to be the definition of my life? How could we as Christians who have faced these challenges and yet know these promises? As we can, we can have courage is at the heart of the Christmas story is the truth that the human race is alienated from a holy God because of our sin and we need a Savior. Friends, Christmas isn't just to make us feel cozy and warm about family and friends. It's meant to motivate us to do something with our family and friends. Without the incarnation, Christianity isn't even a really good story. Most sadly, it means nothing. Be nice to one another. Sesame Street can tell you that. It isn't a message that can give life meaning. It can't assure us of love beyond brokenness and break open the dark doors of death with the key of hope. Jesus befriended and welcomed outsiders and outlaws, socially those that were society that treated them as losers and, and scumbags and all these types of things. And are our churches, are we as Calvary Baptists ready and poised to do the same? Are we at Calvary Baptist more like a country club or an actual family? But I invite you and ask you all to be courageous enough to admit I'm a sinner and I found a Savior, and I want to live that out. So what challenges do you face? And are you willing to face them with the promises of eternal life, identity in Christ, trusting the promises of God, and having purpose and power to face whatever you do? Let's pray. Father God, I have said many, many times, I hope and pray that people have heard a better sermon than I can preach, and I have never been more desperate for that than I am right now. Lord, as we sing and we move into a time of refreshment, and we go downstairs and we talk about some incredible blessings, Lord, I actually feel the juxtaposition, the kind of tension between the command and courage to rejoice in you, and yet the weight of the world I live in and the circumstances I find myself in. Real life struggles with what to do and when to do it. Lord, the tyranny of watching Twitter and news broadcasts every day at around 2 o'clock to find out what's happening in our city and province. Already our Christmas Eve has been thrown into disarray. We're trying to react and Lord, it is easily tempting to just look out for ourselves, to give in to our frustration and our anger and to turtle ourselves up. But Spirit of the living God, would you speak to my friends and my family that are here? Would you speak to me, Lord? Help me to face the uncertainties of life with the courage of Joseph. That no matter what you ask me, that I will believe that Jesus has become God. No other religion in the world believes that God has become flesh and then actually wants to be with his people. And that because of that, you have forgiven us and because of that, you give us the power to love and forgive not only our families, but even our enemies. So, Lord, would the spirit of this understanding fall over Calvary Baptist and for Matthew over in Kilbride and Adam in downtown? Lord, would the people see that we are not here to change the world? We're here to tell people that Jesus has come and he will change the world. But Lord, if there's any one of us in this room that needs to do business with you, may we be courageous enough to bring you our challenges and say, oh God, help me. Right here, right now. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said,